Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, the September the 6th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a dynamite insider piece by Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald with many bullet points I found fascinating. I'm going to go point by point with commentary on that column, plus Your questions on the Twitter mailbag. Last I checked, I had 36 responses, and that was hours ago. We'll update the injury report. It's College Football Friday. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter. And check out the show at LockedOnFins, as well as LockedOnDolphins.com for the written preview of the game, as well as the introduction to the 13 newest Miami Dolphins. And before we get into the show today, we have a game on on Sunday, which means it's injury time. All right, and these injury reports are brought to you by Mac Weldon. The opening week of the NFL is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. As far as the injuries go, this would be annoying if this was a season where we had high aspirations and high hopes. And not to get on a big tangent here on the injury report, but if you guys saw, I think it was like CBS Sports did a percentage chance to win the Super Bowl, and the Dolphins got a 0.0% chance. Like, no chance whatsoever. Not even Jim Carrey. So you're telling me there's a chance? Nope, there isn't one, apparently. The Dolphins were the only team right below the Cardinals, who I think were at 0.02 or something, to win the Super Bowl. So they're counting Miami out. And with the injuries in this game, the Ravens had two guys added to their Thursday injury report, but they were both full participants. Hollywood Brown, the receiver, and Brandon Carr both sound good to go. So the Ravens have a full complement of their players. And the Dolphins injury report is unchanged except for one name. The newcomer, John Jenkins, is feeling better. He had an illness. He was a full participant in Thursday's practice. Other full participant was Charles Harris, the defensive end. The only one that did not practice is the other linebacker slash defensive end, Trent Harris. He was a DNP, and Johnson Batamosi, Danny Isadora, Bobby McCain, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Albert Wilson were all limited participants in practice on Wednesday and Thursday. Let's jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. So Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, and I know that the beat guys right now were kind of getting a lot of flack from the fans, and I think a lot of that might be garnered and deserved, but there's also a different side of this thing that I think most fans don't realize, is that these beat guys, despite maybe some of the narratives, or despite the fact that maybe sometimes they're a little bit too harsh on the team, which you could argue whether or not it's deserved, but you have to remember, these beat guys work their butts off, and Barry Jackson is the epitome of a hard-working journalist. They talk about that guy, how he hears a story that can be a couple hours away, and he jumps in the car and drives down there and goes and gets that story. Nothing but pure respect for Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, and he wrote a bombshell up on the Herald yesterday going over some insider notes that he got, and we're going to go over this point by point, and we start here 
with the quote-unquote mental warfare, as one of the players who was cut put it, that the Dolphins put these guys through the offseason and in August and the training camp and the takes-no-talent wall, apparently saying that if they endure all this and they win, it's fine, but if they don't win, and they're not likely going to win very much this year, that all this stuff kind of gets lost, and it's almost as if they're doing it for nothing. But that comes from a player who got released, and you hear from the players that are on the team, and they all talk about the respect and admiration they have for Coach Flores. So to me, that sounds like sour grapes from a guy who was cut from the team. Now, there were disparaging remarks about some assistant coaches, and most notably offensive line coach Dave DeGugliamo, who was said to be, quote, extremely high-strung. One player said that several veterans are angry about the Laramie Tunzel trade. One veteran even spoke privately of asking for a trade, but all are reluctant to express this publicly to reporters, and understandably so, end quote there from Barry. All of that might seem a little bit tedious, but the big bombshell in here was that Talking about general manager Chris Greer and multiple people who have dealt with the Dolphins said that he was given total control of personnel decisions, including the 53-man roster, but he is deferring to Brian Flores on most things. One person who spoke to Miami's front office said an example that Greer preferred to keep TJ McDonald, but Flores didn't, and Greer usually lets Flores get his way. Greer wants to come at this with a consensus from his staff, all those guys he added, and then try to come to a consensus with the coaching staff, and to me, that's healthy because the coaches should know the players and the GM should be an errand boy for the head coach when it comes to the roster. If the coach doesn't like the way a player's doing something, then you get him the hell out of there and get somebody else who can do the job. That's the dynamic that should be putting forth in every NFL organization, front office, and coaching staff. The coach has to know what he wants. The GM has to know what the coach wants and they have to act accordingly. To me, it sounds like that is the case. And I don't agree with Barry's point here that he wishes that Greer would throw his weight around a little bit more in the idea of playing Josh Rosen. I think the coaching staff should have full control over who plays and who doesn't. I like that build. I like that setup. That's how all the best organizations are ran. And a perfect segue, a perfect dovetail off of that note is that there's a strong sense internally that it's unlikely Rosen will be Miami's long-term starter. It was clear to the Dolphins soon after the trade, which is troubling probably, that their future your quarterback will probably need to come from the 2020 NFL draft and you guys have heard my take on this I think that even if Rosen plays like a top 12 quarterback you still have to go out and get Tua if he's there because that guy offers you an opportunity to become a top five quarterback and top five quarterback compared to a top 12 quarterback is a big difference and the rest can fall in place the number one thing is finding that elite quarterback if you have that everything is going to be at least good for 10 to 15 years with the possibility of being great. Back into the front office and the structure of things here, it was said from Barry Jackson here on this piece on the MiamiHerald.com that when Stephen Ross sat down with prospective head coaching hires, he conveyed to those men that their intent this year was not necessarily to win, but the whole objective was to position themselves to draft a future quarterback in 2020, basically put an end to this post-Marino suffering. That was the idea of the organization. And if you'll recall, Brian Flores said that he was on the same page as Stephen Ross and Chris Greer, and that's the only reason he took this job. So these guys are in this together. They know about it. They know the plan. They know what they're doing. And we're going to talk more about that in the third segment. 
And let's go rapid fire on these final points here. It sounds like, as Albert Breer told us, that the Dolphins had no plans to trade Laramie Tunzel until the Texans wore them down, improving the offer over and over again until Chris Greer ultimately could not refuse. Makes a ton of sense. You have a price tag on everybody. They were not interested in dealing Tunzel, as you've heard reported, but the Texans eventually wore them down and gave him a price for a quarterback, which you have to take for a left tackle. Another note here from Jackson, he says they will not invest much more time or it's difficult to envision them investing more time into Robert Kimdiche because he's out of shape. And then moving back to the linebackers, Kiko Alonso was reportedly scolded over and over again in the OTA portions of practice for freelancing or not doing things how the coaches wanted. And that's why he requested a trade because Kiko is an entitled player who thinks he can freelance and give up big plays like he has in the past. And this coaching staff will not stand for it. So that's how we got here. That's a great thing to hear that the coaching staff's not going to allow for freelancing and doing your own thing anymore. Another thing, they believe that Sam Egwavon's going to be an absolute stud in this system. I agree with him on that. The release of Vincent Taylor was a byproduct of him not being a fit in the scheme as we talked about here earlier in the week. And lastly, the Dolphins don't necessarily believe they have to find their long-term tackles in the draft. They're poised to have more than $125 million in cap space. And with guys like Lyle Collins going off the market, it might go shorter down to someone like Jack Conklin or Trent Williams. Whoever it might be, the Dolphins can repair this offensive line in multiple ways. So this entire thing is nice to hear because it kind of confirms a lot of the things we talked about on the podcast over the last few months. And a huge thank you to Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald for getting this information and getting it out to us. We've got two more segments to go and plenty of football to discuss, including your Twitter questions. And I'm recording this podcast on Thursday afternoon, just before kickoff between the Packers and Bears. And that means it is time to celebrate because football is finally back. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, has huge week one contests this Sunday that you will not want to miss. To kick off the season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at $2 million in prizes with your first deposit when you put in code Locked On during sign-up. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, every throw, and catch means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with this football season. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at $2 million in prizes. Right now, download the DraftKings app and use code LOCKEDON for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. And new users, don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter code LOCKEDON to get a free shot at $2 million in prizes. With your first deposit, that's code locked on only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I know it's a possible tank season, but I feel like we still have to get amped up for some football. So why not a little bit of We Will Rock You from Queen celebrating the great Freddie Mercury. And one note before we get into the Twitter mailbag here, I was kind of curious about this. So I wanted to put it out into the podcast atmosphere or stratosphere, whatever the hell we're calling it. Why was Raekwon McMillan not on the injury report this week? 
Like, not even at all. Not even a full participant on the report. He apparently is good to go for the game on Sunday after playing almost no football all August long. I am really excited to see number 52 get back onto the field, see what he can do. He is a key piece in this game if you're wanting a W in this game. He's a key part of that. I think he's going to have a big year this year for the Dolphins. We'll see what happens with him going forward. But not on the injury report. Raekwon McMillan fully ready to go. Okay, let's go ahead and change gears here and get into the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. I put the call out on Twitter. You reply with a question. I'll give you a shout out and read your question. We used to be able to do all of these, but I got 56 in the inbox right here. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to go off the top and work my way down. This first one comes in from Mark Rutherford. He's at Sasquatch213 on Twitter. With expectations low for wins this year, what aspect of the Dolphins are you most excited about seeing this season? Well, to give it a blanket statement, the defense in general, but to narrow it down more, this linebacking core, because I think for the first time, you have three linebackers that really do three things differently from one another, and they can all contribute in a variety of ways in different packages with blitzing, with with coverage, with defending the run. I think Jerome Baker is going to do all of it and play every snap. I think Sam Egwavon is going to be an 80-85% player who just does so much for you in multiple ways. And Raekwon McMillan probably next in that mix, right around 60% of the plays or so. Maybe more than that. It depends what happens throughout the course of the season. But those guys all offer different things. And I think they're all pretty damn good. And they're all here for multiple years on long-term contracts. Three for Aguavin and Baker, two more for McMillan. I am excited to watch these linebackers because they can be the focal point of the pass rush, of the short area coverage, and finding a way to get the run fits on defense. Next one here comes in from Caitlin Lockwood. She is at Caitlin underscore 1312. You've probably told this story so many times, but how did you get to be in the place where you are today career-wise with the podcast, and what are you going back to school for now? I'm in school for a digital media degree, basically, just trying to further myself in this industry. But as far as how I got here, honestly, this is going to sound cliche, but I just worked and wrote every single day, made some connections with the right people, got myself into a great network here with Locked On, and I really just did things differently than what other folks do because you can cover the team from the general classic beat reporter type of style. I don't want to do that because that already exists. So I really based my work in film study and knowing the game and trying to relay to you guys what we're seeing on a football field because football's complex in many ways. It's not complex in many ways, but as far as watching a game with 22 moving parts, that's something that's hard for the general fan, the casual fan who doesn't spend time in the film room, so to speak, to pick up on. So if you guys don't want to do that, I can kind of take it upon myself to get that knowledge out into the ether, out into the universe, and show you with quality film study what's going on in the football field so you can make better evaluations for yourself. That was kind of the basis for how I built the entire program of Locked On Dolphins for my Twitter following and, of course, the .com. So that was my approach, and it just has worked. It has just stuck. Every single thing we've done has progressed in a good way, and I actually got the compliment of a lifetime the other day when one of the hosts, the Locked On Ravens host, who's brand new in our network, he's been around for like two weeks now, told me that when he got the job, our COO told him to listen to my show to figure out how to kind of, how to do it basically, how to get the job done in the podcast network. So that was fantastic to hear. And also going to training camp was just the best decision I ever made because of the connections with the beat guys who all had really nice things to say to me. And of course the connections I made with the team and the organization itself, which I'm going to talk about here in the third segment. 
Next question here from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans 97. If this game gets ugly, any chance we see Rosen in the second half, in your opinion? I think if it's like a three or four score game, then you could see Josh Rosen, but I don't see Brian Flores being so flippant on his decision. I think he'll stand by it if the game is even close. No matter how bad Josh or Ryan Fitzpatrick plays, I think he'll try to stay with him in this game. And it's more about, to me, the development of Josh Rosen behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. You guys saw me tweet about it this morning, earlier on Wednesday, I should say, and it's just more about his long-term development and what's right for him. And even if they might think that he's not the long-term answer, still finding a way to get him developed gives you more value as a franchise because either he's a cheap backup or you can turn around and trade him. So finding a way to get him playing the best is the most important thing for Josh Rosen this year and bringing him in and mop up duty against the Ravens, a good defense. I'm not sure if that's the right way to go. But again, if you're down 28-6 in the fourth quarter, you might look for that spark. I would say no, but there is a chance. Next question here comes in from Chris LaRondo. He's at Extortion on Twitter. Deadville's advocate here. Let's say we do not, or we do get the number one pick. Do you think there's a possibility that they would trade out and what kind of compensation would we be looking at in return? You're going to get a treasure chest of picks if that happens, like two or three first round picks, a second round pick, something like that, because Tua is a very special, potentially generational type of quarterback who could change whatever franchise he goes to and most likely will, in my opinion. And that's why I don't think they will trade out. If you get that first draft pick, that is a rite of passage to put yourself right back into the pantheon of the NFL hierarchy to get yourself a marquee name, to make yourself more marketable, to attract more free agents, and to really build this thing around a guy who can lead you in so many ways. Recall the things I talked about on the podcast. I think it was Tuesday about the Alabama staffer who told us all those great things about Tua Tungavailoa. He is exactly to a T from a scheme fit to the personality to the locker room fit. He is everything this staff is going to want and they're going to do everything they can to go get him. You have my word on that. Next question here from Clinton Parrott. He's at Clint Parrott. Help a brother understand why go through training camp only to gut the roster and change the defensive scheme one week before the season starts. Is this Greer's vision or Ross's mandate to finish last? You know, I was pretty against the whole tanking idea and didn't want to listen to it at the start because I thought it was more about clearing out future resources to get this team back in the good graces because of all the poor decisions they made in the past. And that was certainly true. But I think this week's moves were all about trying to make it so you didn't win football games. And that's really difficult to hear. I understand that. But I, I just really want to drive this point home that there is no faster way back into NFL relevance than getting a top-level quarterback. And you might say, well, Tua struggles against good defenses or there's no guarantee Jamarcus Russell was a bust. Yeah, that's all true and all well. But you don't just pass on these types of guys who the entire scouting community agrees is a next level type of quarterback. You don't just pass on those guys because Jamarcus Russell was a thing. You don't just pass on them because you could repair your offensive line with a few draft picks. Great, that's fun. What did that 2012 offensive line get us when Jake Long was very good and the line in general was very good? Those teams were not good. You can't just put a good O-line out there and be good. And while a quarterback needs to have a good team around him to win a Super Bowl, a good quarterback can put you in the race every single year. Just look at the Packers, man. Every year that roster has been pretty bad and they still manage to get themselves a Super Bowl championship into NFC championship games. They're celebrating playoff runs almost every year because 
They have an elite quarterback. So that's what the focus is on right here. You get the quarterback. That's seriously half the battle. Now you spend the other half of the battle, which is 18 draft picks, building the roster around him and giving yourself a complete team with an elite quarterback. That is the recipe for championships, not 10 and 6, sneaking into the playoffs, getting your ass handed to you by Baltimore or Pittsburgh, and then rebooting the following year and trying to do it again. We want winners. We want championships. That's what I'm about. Let's do this thing the right way, even if it includes a step backwards. And if you guys know about Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network, he wrote a hell of a piece on trusting the process. He's a 76ers fan. He's a Dolphins fan. We look at the Astros and the Cubs and baseball. This tanking thing, it kind of works, guys. It kind of works for the better. And me, as a 20-year-plus Dolphins fan now, who's gone through pretty much my entire life rooting for a mediocre football team, I don't understand the hesitance to get away from a possible 10-6 and playoff year with hopes and more promise in the future to possibly be a team that can get a first-round bye, that can win a game in January, that can go to a Super Bowl. All these things the Dolphins have not done since the 80s or 90s. One bad year, I'm fully willing to trade that in for the promise of a better tomorrow. All right, we're going to come back on the other side. And speaking of a better tomorrow, based on my Twitter timeline, you guys all know who's going to win the games. And if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they were not the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half, it looks like your bet is a loser, you can always just take the other side. And if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try yourself a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Four consecutive years of championship appearances for your boy, for yours truly, in the softball league finals. Four consecutive defeats at the hands of the same team. We were 15-4 this year, 1-3 against these guys. We handed them their first loss of the season in the winner's bracket round of the championship game. You have to double dip and beat them twice. We did it once. Could not do it twice, despite the fact that we jumped out to a 7-0 lead after the top of the first inning. We then blew it because those guys can flat hit. So I'm officially Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills, four consecutive softball second place finishes. Let's do a couple more questions here on the mailbag. This first one comes in from Leighton Stauffer, at Stauffer underscore Leighton. Who do you think will be the Dolphins player of the game? I'm going to take Kenyon Drake in this one because I think that even though the offense won't have much success, where they can have success is throwing the ball to the backs in both first down looks where they flex him out wide or on third down looks where they get him against the blitz and the well-timed play call against the blitz. Kenyon Drake can make it hurt the most in those aspects. I'll get Kenyon Drake for 100 total yards in this game, rushing and receiving. Okay, last one here from Abel D. He's at Rotomus Bowtie. What needs to happen for the Dolphins to forego a quarterback this year and use the draft capital to build around Rosen? Is there any way you see that happening? 
Honestly, no. I, I There's no, nothing that Rosen can do this year that's within the realm of possibility that I think will make the Dolphins pass on the draft class because I keep saying this, number one, I don't think they're going to finish outside of the top five of the draft, which means they're going to have the capital to go up and get basically either Tua or the second best guy they deem. I think it'll be Jordan Love. Some folks might believe Justin Herbert, but I think there's no way they come out of this draft outside of the top five and with those resources outside of the top two, really, to make that happen. And both of those guys, in my opinion, have a chance long-term to be like elite-level franchise-changing cornerstone quarterbacks And I just don't see that in Josh Rosen. I don't think the staff sees that in Josh Rosen. They really put an emphasis on the way they lead, on the way they communicate, on the way they galvanize their teammates. And they've had an entire offseason to evaluate Josh Rosen in those ways and on the practice field and the fact that he's still having a hard time getting fully immersed in the offense. I just don't think they're going to like him going forward when you compare him to Tua or Jordan Love, whoever it might be. That's what he has to do. That's his peers. That's who he's compared to, Tua Tungavailoa. And there's a huge gap between the two, in my opinion, and that's the focus. So I think there's nothing Josh Rosen can do that's possible. Now, if he throws 50 touchdown passes and no picks, sure. Is that going to happen? No. So to me, nothing he can do. All right, I'm going to cut the mailbag off right there. I do apologize for all of you that wrote in. I really appreciate that. I'll try to get to those questions on Twitter later. I just don't have time to get them into the show, but let's go ahead and change gears here. I want to talk about something that I learned over the week, and I know that let's call them people that are not a fan of me will call me just a blogger, and that's fine. That's where I started this whole thing at. But as things have grown and developed here with Locked On Dolphins on the podcast, on the website, on my Twitter So have my connections to the team. Most of it, I can't talk about. And I realize that offers you guys zero value, but I hope that this will. I do know someone very important within the organization who reads my work. And after my piece on Sunday, clarifying the state of the franchise, this person told me that, quote, I get it. As in, I get the plans for the future. That article is pinned to my timeline if you want to see it. So I can pretty much fully guarantee you with 100% confidence that that article is the thinking of the team. Take that for what you will. And with that, let's finish up this week's worth of podcast with College Football Friday, baby. First, the viewing guide for the quarterbacks that we're tracking here on LockedOnDolphins.com. It's not so great this weekend. You've got four o'clock kickoffs for Bama and Georgia. Bama's playing New Mexico State, who the Cougars trashed last week. And Georgia's playing Murray State. Georgia's on ESPN2, Bama on SEC Network. Both those games kick off at 4 o'clock in the East. 7 o'clock or maybe 7.30, I forget. Stony Brook is at Utah State. That one, I guess, is on Facebook Live or something. And then at 7.30, Nevada goes to Oregon to face Justin Herbert and the Ducks. That's on the Pac-12 Network. Let's go ahead now and get into my picks. Honestly, one of my favorite segments that I do here on the podcast. Now, there are some big, big games this weekend, notably... Texas A&M number 12 at Clemson number one and Texas number 10 against LSU number six. That's a treat in and of itself. But as a gambler, you got to know those are the games you do not want to be on. They're the hardest ones to get right. The less public money you have on a game, the better to bet on. And as it were, we're taking these six games, my winners for the week. I'm five and three after the week zero and week one games. Let's get into my six picks 
for week number two of college football on Saturday. And we're going to start in the Big Ten. Iowa and Rutgers, the, the over-under, the total in the game is 49. I'm taking the under, thinking that Rutgers will only score seven points at most, and Iowa will take it down a notch in the fourth quarter and run that clock. So under 49, Iowa and Rutgers. Vanderbilt and Purdue. Vandy's a bad team. Purdue has that receiver, Rondale Moore, that I'm obsessed with. Give me Purdue covering seven points. Nebraska is giving four points to Colorado at Colorado. Nebraska's a bad football team. Colorado has a good quarterback-receiver combination. Give me the Buffs plus four points at home. Western Michigan is getting 16 points from Michigan State. And you might be scared of that one, but the Spartan offense is pretty terrible. Covering 16 points for a bad offense is tough. Give me the Power 5 school there over the Spartans plus 16 points. The Miami Hurricanes bounce back from that loss to Florida. They're giving five to UNC. The Tar Heels are a bad football team. Give me the Canes minus five in that one. And Oregon State goes to Hawaii. The total in that game is 78 points. Two run and shoot offenses, two bad defenses. Give me the over 78 in that game. So it's Iowa Rutgers under 49, Purdue minus seven, Colorado plus four, Western Michigan plus 16, Miami minus five, and Ohio or Oregon State rather, and Hawaii over 78 points. And that is it, and that's all. The next time I talk to you is going to be a game recap, the Dolphins and Ravens recap late on Sunday night after all the games have concluded for your Monday commute into work. We'll recap everything about the game, give you an evaluation of everything, and of course cover the game all week long on LockedOnDolphins.com. The season is here. We're talking football every day on the podcast, but as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you on Sunday for a recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Thank you.